0: Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Dozens of environmental regulations out the window. The mere mention of climate change scrubbed from the agency's website and an enemy of the earth at the helm. The EPA is almost unrecognizable under President Trump. But how much do we really need to worry about the direction the agency is headed in? I spoke to Gina McCarthy, who served as EPA administrator under President Obama, and while there's definitely reason to be concerned, it may not be time to sound the alarm just yet. Gina, thank you so much for coming to the Weather.com studios and on Warming Signs. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to get right to it. Former coal lobbyist Andrew Wheeler is about to take over your old gig as head of the EPA. Is it unprecedented for us to have a former coal lobbyist to head the Environmental Protection Agency, or is this something that we've seen happen in the past?
1: I would have to say it's pretty unprecedented. And it's, you know, it's just uh, seems to be a bit of an anathema to the mission of the agency. You know, I know Andrew, he seems like a a nice enough person, but clearly he comes in there with a... a, um, a mission of his own, I think, and, and you worry about the mission of the agency suffering because of that.
0: How does it differ right now from the agency that you left? Yeah. I assume that there have been quite a few changes.
1: Well, I mean, you have an administration that's basically trying to cut the agency's budget you know, literally in half, Um, And you have about 8% fewer people that work there now. You have the science uh, advisors being basically changed from real scientists to industry scientists. You have uh, rules that are in place, some since 2011, that are now being rethought. Um, So it's a a different place than when I left. But the good news is that many of the 15,000 people are still there. They're still working hard. Um, They're still trying to do their job and they still care about it. And they're still some of the most brilliant people ever. So you know there's a there's a shift now that's uh, that's disconcerting, but the the hope is that they'll continue to stay there and continue to do as as good a work as they can, and that when change happens again it'll be changed for the better
0: It seems in general the idea of a former coal lobbyist leading an agency where you put so much work into the Clean Power Plan and the yeah. Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, all of these things that, you know, are kind of missions of the agency. Yeah. Um, what specifically of those things that you worked on have been rolled back and how does that feel? Well, one
1: of the things that allows me to get up in the morning and still be positive, um, other than drinking the night before, no, I'm only kidding, <laughs> I'm only kidding, is, is that, um, you know, I'm still pretty optimistic. Uh, one of the things that we've learned is there's been a lot of proposals to roll back some of the bigger rules, like the clean water rule and the clean power plan to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from, from the utility sector, like the mercury and air toxic standard that's trying to protect kids uh, from exposure to a neurotoxin. You know, those kinds of things, uh, it's disturbing to see that they're attempted to be rolled back. But what you have to focus on, I think, are two things. One is that they're not very good so far at at, uh, rolling things back when they've taken a lot of shortcuts in the administrative process. And so they have about a 6% record when it comes to the courts, and the courts are going to see just about everything they do. So one of the good news is that they're doing a terrible job at the rollbacks. Um, and we saw that – certainly see that with the clean car rule, which is trying to sort of roll back all the better fuel, uh, uh, fuel efficiency standards that we put in place and greenhouse gas emission standards. They just keep forgetting to sort of multiply things by two when they look at cost-benefit analysis. So they're having real trouble with that. And so that's a, a good thing. It'll, these things will get to court and somebody is going to scrutinize it. And if, and if they're not following science and the law – and they're not doing the right public process, they're going to lose. And I feel really confident that we actually did that. We paid attention to the science and the law, and we came up with answers that were well-informed by the public, as well as the industry we regulated. And we did them in a way that made sense, and they were cost-effective. So I I think that the idea of, of new, you know, a new administration coming in and doing way more than rethink policy is just a sort of – undo everything that was done the prior eight years is is uh, biting off way more than they can chew the second thing is that that we are seeing where washington is now sort of quietly un- trying to undo everything, it means that other levels of government are stepping up. We see a lot of activity at the state level, a lot of activity for mayors across- in cities and communities. So it sort of um, had the op- might have had the opposite effect than this administration intended, which is people are worried. They know the federal government isn't doing the right thing, so they're going to start taking action themselves. And I love that. <laughs> Because as a person who's worked at every level of government, I worked at the local level, the state level, the federal level. You know, I I worked for five Republican governors and one Democratic governor. You know, I just see these things as being better handled at other levels of government sometimes to generate the momentum we need, and they have reignited the rest of the country. And I'm happy about that, although I certainly wish they would – focus more attention on
0: actually doing the mission of the agency. Yeah, speaking of that, it does seem as though here recently, there's been this momentum and this change kind of after and around the uh, November 2018 midterms. And people, especially young people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are talking about climate change, and they're talking about it a lot. Do you think that that is the result of some of these rollbacks that we see happening in the EPA or perhaps the president announcing his plan to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord? I think it's a result of the,
1: an energy shift that's palpable. And I'm totally enjoying it. You know, in 2018, we had a lot of young people stepping up and a lot of young women. And that cannot hurt. It's a great thing. And so we are seeing discussions about climate on both sides of the aisle now. And I think the Republicans are beginning to understand that climate change isn't a partisan issue, just as it wasn't when I worked at the state level for five Republicans. They cared about clean water and air, and they cared about climate change. And so they are seeing that they may not actually be on the right side of this. And there's a lot of polling that's being done that is showing that, that That four out of five Americans actually understand that climate change is impacting them and their health. And people want – they want safety and security. They want to know that the government is protecting them. And I think that any administration that is so obviously invested in oil dominance and bringing back coal is putting their finger on the wrong side of this lever here. And I think they're going to be rethinking because folks won in the 2018 election by running on the issue of climate change. They, they have to take a look at, at, at young people 25 and under. If they vote, they're going to win and the Republicans are going to lose their position if they don't get a little bit more serious about what the science is saying and, and really help work with the Democrats to find the best path forward to keep us safe and healthy.
0: Yeah, it's not all, you know, go for climate. If you're if you're pro-climate change and, and doing something about it, it doesn't mean you're necessarily losing money. No, exactly. It doesn't the mean opposite. you're necessarily hurting our economy. No. But you mentioned health, and that yeah. is such just a huge component of what the EPA does, um, of how climate change impacts all of us. And you mentioned something uh, a moment ago about a neurotoxin that impacts children. The EPA has a long history of trying to keep people safe and keep yeah. them healthy, but the right would argue that regulations hurt Americans. How, how do these government regulations, either that have happened in the past through the EPA or that are proposed, perhaps, in the future to help combat climate change, helping U.S. citizens... Well look the the
1: way you take a look at this is you know there isn't a major rule in the United States that doesn't uh, get looked at from cost and benefits. You know, you look at whether or not you're doing your job in the most efficient way possible that Congress told you you had to do, not just gave us the authority, but said we had to do it. And if you look at it, we've reduced our air pollution 70% while our GDP has tripled. I don't think anybody in the United States wants that kind of a trade off, nor have we ever asked for it. And so we know we're doing the right thing, and we know what we're asking for is cost effective and going to keep this country a place where people want to live. And we also know the job isn't done. And we have other things to tend to, and climate change is one of them. And when you look at issues of climate change, you're looking at uh, basically taking actions that don't just stabilize our planet so that we can all be safer. But we're looking at actions that improve health. And, And a lot of times for the most vulnerable among us, the ones that have been left behind. So it is a health issue. It is a, an issue of equity and is an issue of sound economics and sound national security strategy. The economics are that we spent $306 billion in 2017 alone on disasters relative to climate change that were related to climate change. And, and we have to acknowledge that taking no action doesn't mean there's no cost. It actually means we have our head in the sand and we're going to be very vulnerable with the rest of our bodies. So let's get real about this stuff. And so what I'm at the School of Public Health to sort of explain that while people think climate change is an environmental problem, it really isn't. It's a public health problem, it's an economic problem, it's a national security problem. And we have to, you know, sort of get our ducks in a row and the US needs to stop pretending we we have to go it alone and be dominant on oil and start saying we want to lead on clean energy. That's where our value Values are. That's how we'll what will protect our kids in their future. That's what's going to keep us the strongest economic country in the world. Right now, we've ceded that entirely to China and other countries, and and we know that clean energy actually employs 3.5 million people in this country today. And we know that grows every year as as renewable energy gets cheaper. And so we have to start thinking like Americans again, which is how do we do the right thing for people and how do we do the right thing for our economy and how do we maintain our stature in the world today? What we're doing now isn't it. What we're doing now is looking backwards as if that's going to bring us forward. And that ain't how it works, at least not the science I'm aware of.
0: Now, you're talking about clean energy a lot. And I actually um, did a story in Ohio about how a lot of the efforts to undo these plans for clean energy, um, whether it be subsidies in the states or whatever, is happening almost at a grassroots level rather than a federal level. Um, And there is there's not just emotion like, oh, I don't. You know, I don't like wind turbines. There is genuine hatred. There's fear of them. And we've seen that even echoed by the president here recently um, with his <laughs> remarks about wind turbines causing cancer, which has no scientific basis.
1: The noise. that That's a pretty amazing. Yeah. The noise from them is causing cancer. Um <laughs> Does that surprise you that he might have said something that isn't backed by science or fact?
0: (laughs) I'm not going to say that I'm surprised by that. But I will say that a lot of these efforts are happening just at this grassroots level, this this distrust of clean energy, whether it be solar or, or wind. How do we combat that?
1: I think with real facts, you know part of the challenge that that is that is happening today is that there are some areas where that 's the case, but the overwhelming majority of people look at renewable energy as a really good thing, and they look at it as, as you know solar now is not just on your rooftop, you know you have basically big uh, generation size solar uh, arrays that are feeding into the system and lowering the cost of your electricity. Maybe it would surprise people to know, but in the Senate today, there's a bipartisan discussion about potentially having a federal renewable fuel standard. Now, our renewable fuel standard is setting a percentage of generation of electricity that comes from renewable energy. That's happening in states all across the United States. And it's not just because it's good for the planet or it's good for public health. It's good for pocketbooks. It actually is, is – the cost of renewable energy is getting to be so low that it's competitive and winning against other, electri- uh, other electricity generation, most notably from fossil fuels, even natural gas, never mind coal. And so people are really wondering why in the name of some science outrage that climate change isn't happening, they're being denied access – to cheaper electricity. And when that happens, things change. Because that's not just a cost benefit analysis. That's people, human beings, making the case to their own leadership. And that's what needs to drive change, an understanding that it's hurting yourself and the future for your children, but also that you're being denied a vision of the future that's better environmentally and economically. And I just don't know how you can put your finger in the dike and think that it's not going to be a problem when the rest of the world is going with clean energy, when individuals and communities are demanding clean energy, when states even out west are saying, we're going carbon free by 2040. I think that's too hard a a, uh, flood to hold back.
0: This is the perfect place to pause for one of our recurring segments, Y'all Need Some Science, where I introduce basic science concepts to the people who need it most. This week, it's President Trump. Try not to be too shocked. At the National Republican Congressional Committee's annual spring dinner last month, he claimed that the noise from wind turbines causes cancer. Obviously, That's not true. So let's put this in perspective. Wind turbines are about as loud as a lawnmower. I personally have stood amongst many of them, and I thought maybe it was a hum about as loud as the refrigerator in my house. So if you think that's enough noise to cause cancer, wouldn't we all be dead by now? Besides, there are countless studies that show it's just not true. But you know what does cause cancer? Clean, beautiful, coal the national cancer institute says people who work in coal manufacturing are at a greater risk of lung bladder skin kidney and digestive tract cancer and the cancer risk isn't just limited to folks who work with coal Coal coal-fired plants release mercury and other pollutants the mercury makes its way into the air and water and leads to health issues like you guessed it cancer and if that is depressing you enough, let's get back to Gina because she's very optimistic about the future of our planet and it's one group in particular that's given her so much hope. You've alluded to it several times, almost every one of these questions, you have had this moment of hope. Yeah. You 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 have this optimism. What do you think is the biggest thing that gives you hope for our future, whether it's the future of the EPA, of climate change uh, and health, whatever it may be right now? I think it's – I honestly think
1: that my optimism comes from young people <laughs> like you. <laughs> it's because I think that this generation I, – I went – to Harvard after I left the Obama administration, I thought it was going to be a temporary stop and I hung out there. Um, It's because I found that young people, the people at the Harvard School of Public Health, they want to understand how to do research right because it's research that informs real decisions about what challenges are, what the solutions are. Science matters. But they want, they'd want to do more than talk to other scientists about it. They wanted to make a difference in the world. And they inspire me every day. You know, they tell me that they, they, they know that climate, climate change is happening. They know that they have to find solutions that work for everybody. And they know that they have to bring everybody along. And they're not daunted by that. They're, they're upset that we're not taking this seriously. They're upset that there are vulnerable people left behind that are being impacted today more than anyone else. That's our elderly, our kids, low-income minority communities, and they want to know how investments in climate change will make their health better today while we, while we chart a path to a sustainable and a more just future. They will not tolerate the inequities in the world. They don't
0: say, well, that's life. They won't have it, and I love it. Thank you so much for coming on Warming Signs. This well, has just been such a pleasure.
1: Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I hope folks out there are, are feeling better and more hopeful and ready for action.
0: I don't know how they couldn't. After, the, after your empowering answers to all, the, all of my questions, So thank you. Thanks. I have to thank Gina McCarthy again for coming into the weather.com studios and talking with me because... It was such a wonderful conversation and she's so bright. It was so refreshing. So I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did, but you know what? If you did, you didn't let me know. Let's have a conversation, me and you on Twitter. You can find me at WeatherKate. That's at K A I T. And I would love to hear from you. A lot of you have already written to me and even made suggestions for future episodes that we're going to do, as well as letting me know when I forget to post links to things that I say in the podcast I'm going to post. So thank you for those reminders. Also, thank you to our production staff here, Mia Bichak, Dan Wright, Jim Robinson, Eric Zirkel, everyone here at the weather.com team that gets all this stuff out of my brain and into yours every Tuesday. We'll chat next week.